It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Green, gardening, and environment radio. Flavored with a dash of humor. Welcome to intelligent, irreverent talk about plants and the planet they grow on. Your questions, comments, and participation are always welcome on Facebook and Instagram at The Mike Novak Show and at Mike Now on Twitter. Good planets are hard to find. Temperate zones and tropic climes. True currents and thriving seas. Wind blowing through breathing trees. Strong ozone and safe sunshine. Well, good planets are hard to find. Good planets are in the main. Brought to you by Bartlett Tree Experts. Every tree needs a champion. Go to Bartlett.com. Jet streams, perfect air. And here they are, Peggy Malecki and Mike Nova. Good planets are in the main. I always look at this, and there's the grasshopper, but you can't see it because I've already faded it yeah. out. But at some point, because there's trout lilies there too, and I and you know we gotta we gotta get those guys in there and get them some representation uh, as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, welcome everybody. And we talked about it last week. Um, that's true, and so we're probably talking about it every week because the only time I remember <laughs> it is when we're actually doing the show, and 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 we're right there. And I just remember, remember this grasshopper. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and I just remembered to, to turn on our chat. And there's Bruce. Bruce is there already. He's going to get. And the Dan's first. there. Good morning, and, Dan. Uh, good morning, uh, Dan. You're going to be happy because uh, I've got something. Not Dan Danelli, who's our first guest today. One of our first two guests. Uh, but uh, Dan Costa, uh, I'm doing a tribute to you today, Dan Costa, um, from uh, Vern Gower's greenhouse in Hinsdale. And that gets a ding as well. Although I only see one message. I only see one person. Oh, there we go. They all popped oh, they, up all of a sudden. Hey, Skeet. Hey, Amos. Um, oh, and no, you don't this. see you don't see Dan Costa. I was going to say you've got new glasses. Uh, they're not new. Something. No, these are these are just old. I mean, oh, they're, they're, they're old to, cheaters. They're, they're old cheaters held together by a screw that is just pop. <laughs> look, at, look at that popping up. Okay, because I can't even. Uh, do I have to? Yeah, you do. <laughs> It just said you want to see all the scratches on there too. So uh, no, these are this is the only way I can read this screen um, because uh, it's it's every I've got. Do you know how many screens I have up on here? On uh, tell us how many, many screens, screens do you have well, up well, there? Well, too too many. Okay, let me just yeah, put it okay. that way. There's all right. No, I think I can count it. today. <laughs> today I have fifty six. There are <laughs> oh. This is this is going to be uh, a true test of uh, my skills today, and I'm sure. Believe me, folks, there are going to be mistakes. There will be mistakes made, uh, but I think we're going to have a lot of fun today because um, we got uh, a whole bunch of great guests on the program, um, starting with lawn care talk at the beginning. And I know, I know, I know, a lot of you folks watching say lawn. Why are you talking about lawns? Well, I'm talking about lawns because everybody grows a lawn, all right? Not everybody. 
most people, it seems, in our society are, are lawn-obsessed, or maybe that's uh, exaggerating. A lot, like, can we say a lot of people are lawn-obsessed? Uh, yeah, some people are lawn-obsessed. Um, and so you have to, if, if they're going to be lawn-obsessed, make sure they do it right. That's the mm-hmm. way I look at it. Don't don't go slamming all that fertilizer and chemicals and and bad practices and your mowing and your watering and your seeding and everything else. Um, we have a couple of terrific experts on the show today. Uh, we'll talk. I'll introduce them in a second. But then after that. Uh, we are going to go worldwide. Well, actually, not really, but we're going to talk about a program that is worldwide. It is uh, the City Nature Challenge 2021, and it's not just in Chicago. It is all over the planet. Over the world. Yeah, yeah, and you can be a citizen scientist involved in the City Nature Challenge Uh if your city is participating and, and when they say city, you know, air quotes, because for the city, Chicago involves mm-hmm. 14 counties around Chicago, Chicago, and Indiana, yes. and Indiana. Right. So uh, we're going to be talking to Taryn Lichtenberger, uh, who is from uh, Budburst uh, at uh, the Chicago Botanic Garden. Um, as she's the community engagement manager and, and she's going to tell you how you can grab what you grab this your cell phone and you go out and you take photos and you upload them to iNaturalist or some other app and uh, you will be part of a worldwide effort to look at nature in urban areas and that starts the 30th of April and goes through the 3rd of May so that's why we're doing it this week so you have a heads up on that and then finally we're going to talk to Leslie Graham and Chris Crone. They're with something that I hadn't heard of um, until a, f- a couple of months ago called the North Shore Plant Club. And it's about getting plants less expensively than you might now. Um, it kind of pop-up deals in various locations, and uh, you order online, and then you pick them up or you have them delivered um, and we're going to find out what that is all about. That it's a very end. Uh, little, uh, uh, we must uh, issue a warning. Uh, there's no Rick DeMaio today, but if you were watching the show last week, you know that he said he would not be able to be available because he, <laughs> he's moving. He's moving his map. He's moving his map. That's all he does. He just moves his map <laughs> from, from place to place. Um, and uh, he will be back with us next week uh i can tell you though that tomorrow's going to be warm and uh, tuesday's going to be warmer excuse me and the sun is shining now and Um, you're probably going and playing golf this week um shh i hope so i hope i can sneak in uh uh, speaking of that let's bring in the guy in the lower left corner because he's he's laughing at me that's dan Dinelli. um and he is the superintendent of North Shore Country Club in Glenview, Illinois, and he's a buddy of mine. He's the mad scientist of turf. Uh, there he is, Dan Danelli. Dan, how you doing? Good. Hi, Mike. Hi, Peggy. Uh, it's great Morning, to have you. And, and now we go across the country to bring in the guy on your right, and that's Alec McLennan, who has also... Screen. Um, right on your right on your screen and on your headphone, it's on the right side of your headphone. 
uh, if you're just huh? listening, if you're listening to the podcast, um, Alex McLennan, uh, who is the uh, chief Alec. cook. I'm sorry, Alec. Sorry. Oh, well, yeah, Alec. Yeah, <laughs> like, like, like nobody ever makes that mistake, Alec, right? Yeah. Uh, 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 and uh, he is the chief cook and bottle washer for Good Nature Organic Lawn Care. And we had him on the show last year, I believe in August, and we were talking about fall lawn care. And um, uh, and I said, well, this guy's got to come in in the spring because that's when everybody does it, even though, as we established in August, fall is the best time to uh, work on your lawn. And, and I, I think the two of you, Dan and Alec, would uh, agree on that, right? Yes. Um, so, uh, but the cool thing is when we talked to Alec last, uh, August, he had locations. We, he was in, he's in Cleveland right now. Are you in, in the city proper? Or are you just outside of Cleveland? We're just South of Cleveland. Yeah. Pretty close. Um, and, um, uh, but you have offices in Cleveland in what, uh, in Indianapolis, Cleveland. uh, where, where else in Ohio? Yeah. We're in Columbus, Ohio. Columbus and Akron. Uh, yeah, Columbus and Akron, and then and now Indian, and yeah, this year in Chicago, parts of Chicago. All right, we you uh, get a ding for that because they've just established themselves in Lombard, Illinois, and they cover a whole swath of of uh, 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 suburbs west and a little bit north of you know just the western part of Chicago. So mm-hmm. if you're interested. And uh, having organic lawn care in the city of Chicago, there's one more place you can go, and you can go to Good Nature uh, Organic Lawn Care. The website is whygoodnature.com, um, and um, and they have a Facebook page for the Chicago office. Um, and um, and uh, welcome, welcome to the city of Chicago, Alec. Hey, thanks. We're, we're glad to be here. It's a great place. Uh, so, listen, guys. Let's start with. Uh, okay, here's here's the plan, and and I don't know how well this is going to work <laughs> out. Uh, Dan actually has uh, the uh, his camera ready to go on his cell phone. He's going to try to do a little tour. As you can see right now, he's in his. You're you're in the back shed there. The uh, what do you call that area? Do you have a nickname for it, Dan? I just call it the shop, but I guess technically it's better termed as the uh, grounds and greens maintenance facility. <laughs> That's too official, uh, but yeah. I like the I like the shop, um, <laughs> and that is uh, behind North Shore Country Club, and uh, he's going to wander out there, and we'll see how well the signal holds up. Part of the problem that we've dealt with in the last couple of days while we've been testing this is that you got metal buildings there, and they they do not play well with the phone all the time but we were able to get some pretty good stuff when we were testing it so we're going to try again because i want you to see the kinds of stuff that dan is doing on a pga level golf course um that and 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 when you think of golf courses and i'm sure you've heard this before dan people think oh yeah you're just throwing chemicals at it um you you are trying to reverse that trend aren't you well, yeah, we, you've got to use your inputs wisely. So we're trying to go as much as we can organic, if you will, 
and um, having pretty good success at doing so. When you say you've had pretty good success, what kind of stuff are you putting uh, on, uh, what kind of inputs are you using on that golf course? Mike, we're big users of compost, quality compost. For the last few years, we drifted over to using biochar as part of the ingredients with vermicompost in our putting greens, which I'll show you when we get to the back of the shop here. Uh, the, the top dressing, we call it, you know, we rely a lot on sand as a medium. And um, for, uh, for the sake of drainage and the, and the idea that it doesn't compact as easily as other mediums, so we try to uh, enhance the sand qualities or deficits, I guess, by using biochar and vermicompost and other organic amendments. I, uh, I, had, uh, I saw an article which I actually posted. Uh, you can go to MikeNovak.net, and if you look at the blog, uh, there's a link to the article that was done, uh, the Chicago District Golf Association. I don't, is that the name of it? Um, and, um, yeah. And um, they, uh, there, there was an article written about you, and you stated in the article that you no longer fertilize your fairways uh, traditionally, that you are applying compost only on your fairways. Is that true? Yeah. Yeah, we've got such a mineral base established in the soil and uh, amending it every year with quality compost that in, includes biosolids as part of the ingredients. And biosolids is pretty nutrient-rich material. And um, collectively, that seems to be enough for right now. But we continue to take soil tests and analyze uh, the different elements and the pH and the organic matter levels. And, you know, so far, that's how we're managing the course. But that may change over time. We'll see. We just keep tracking it and only use things that show up as deficits in the test. So basically, and by the way, where do you get your biosolids? The MWRD. Okay. Metropolitan Water Reclamation District of Greater Chicago. Um, Perfect. Yeah. Yep. And uh, (laughs) those guys. It is. <laughs> MWRDGC is the, the full uh, acronym. Um, and uh, from what I understand, uh, in the fall, you – and this is what I tell people to do, and, and we'll get to Alec in a second, and maybe he can uh, agree with this, is uh, you know, if you're going to put something on your lawn, I say put on compost and roll it out, uh, you know, a half inch deep or a quarter inch deep or something a couple of times a year and spread it. And that's what you do in the fall at the golf course, right? Right. And, and it does all kinds of things, in my opinion. You know, there's no silver bullets, right, in our world. There's, we always look for that magic pill or ingredient that cures all ailments. And that, that doesn't exist out there, at least that I've tried or aware of. But, but compost does hit a lot of different elements. It, it adds nutrients for plants and uh, biology in the soil. It also adds carbon and organic material that helps with soil structure and building, but also in, introduces its group of biology that's pretty geared up towards breaking down carbon or complex materials like lignin and cellulose. So as we top dress the turf in the fall after the golf season, so we're not interfering with play, that organic material commingles with the thatch that we call the organic material that's left behind from the whole cycle of those nutrients and that organic matter and breaks it down. 
Okay. Um, Alec, is that something that uh, you have been known to tell your clients to do or that you use in your treatment, that is to say compost? So compost is um, is an awesome material for a lot of reasons. I think like Dan mentioned, it, it, uh, in addition to adding kind of slow-release nutrients, it adds all the biology and helps break things down. But um, in home lawns, we used to do we used to do a fair amount of it, and what we found, you know, Dan Dan mentioned that they they top dress after kind of the main season is over. We had a lot of complaints on the home lawns from people because they'd say my yard is really dirty. Um, their dogs <laughs> would go out and track it in. Yeah, and we didn't use biosolids, but on the home lawn, biosolids you know do have a little bit of an odor, and so. Uh, we got away from that. We used more compost teas where we kind of extract the biology out of the compost, which you get, you get some, there's some benefits to that and some drawbacks. You don't get as much organic matter, um, and nutrients, but you do get a lot of the biology. Uh, mm-hmm. and then we do do some pelletized compost and pelletized, uh, humate, humates, humic acids, um, to help kind of build organic matter as the soil tests, uh, call for it. And and there we are right out of the gate. You can see the difference between the, the treatments because in one case, uh, Dan, you're able to clear everybody off the course and you do what you have to do. Alec, you have to deal with people who are living uh, at their places. Um, and I'm kind of surprised, though, that you get uh, complaints about compost treatments. Um, I mean, in about a week, isn't it hasn't it pretty much sifted into the soil? Yeah, Dan, I guess I'd be curious your your feedback on that. I think that it depends on how finely screened it is. Um, and I think it's probably a couple of weeks would be my, my guess. Okay, okay even uh, a couple of weeks. It seems like for, for, a, for a safe treatment, that seems like a, a, a trade-off, a good trade-off, a reasonable trade-off. Uh, Dan, did you want to address this at all? Well, that doesn't surprise me, what Alex shared uh, entirely, uh, especially if it's a heavily used lawn and they're, you know, letting dogs, they have pets and they're going out in that yard. So what, as you pointed out, Mike, we can get away with a heavier application in the off season in the fall. Actually, I've done it in the winter months on top of snow even. Um, Wow. I've done it to try to help help ice. There's a few times, you know, like every seven to 10 years, we get an ice layer buildup and the our turf doesn't tolerate a high level of that for too long, so that dark material helps. But I could see how a homeowner would uh, would pass an active homeowner, we'll call it, with pets and whatnot that are out in their yard a lot. Yeah. If it's too heavy, because be mindful, you know, when you got longer turf, it's sometimes it's a little more challenging to get that material worked into the verdure. They call it right, where my lower mow turf a little under half an inch, I could put the right rate down and drag it in with a piece of chain link fence pretty easily. And it sits down pretty yeah. well, but I could see after a wet period <laughs> shortly after application, you know, it can track a little bit. So Alex is good in saying that there are alternatives out there that, uh, you know, like humates, like he mentioned is a wonderful carbon source that is a good biostimulant and compost teas combined with things like that. So, this is part of the gig is you got to kind of fit the recipe with what you're trying to bake and what the preferred outcome is. 
and with homeowners, you know, using things like meals, I really like meal-based fertilizers, organic fertilizers. You could mm-hmm. do things that compost does. When you say meals, like what what are you talking about? Like feather meal and bone meal, blood meal, uh, a lot of those meal-based organic materials. Soy, I really like soy a lot. We get a good response out of soy. Corn gluten, mate, you know, you heard of corn gluten. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there's there's, yeah. there's many options out there, and I think Alec would agree that part of the fun is kind of experimenting with those different ingredients and, and trying to get the most out of each one that's acceptable to your clients, whatever that is. Absolutely. And then, like, so, Dan, on that, on that note, when we started off, you know, I used a lot of meal-based fertilizers with feather meal, blood meal, bone meal, all the, all the regular meals in it, you find in a typical organic fertilizer. And people would call and say, hey, it's great the deer aren't bothering me anymore, but I don't want to go outside because it smells. You know, so we basically have shifted to vegetable <laughs> meals um, along with compost tea. And so you mentioned like soy, corn, alfalfa. Uh, those are, you know, great carbon and protein sources. Um, and that's, we're kind of trying to cater to people who want to be in their yard. That's why they hire us. They, right. they want their kids and pets to be out there. And they don't want any interference in that, which I, I totally get. So I get that. By, but, all right, let me, let me interject something here. If you put down a yeah. synthetic fertilizer, you know, you know there's a smell. There's that synthetic smell. Everybody oh, it's knows. It's, yeah. It's so what's yeah. the so why wouldn't people put up with an organic smell if they're going to put up with a synthetic smell? I don't get it. You know, let me say I'll I'll kind of walk that back a little bit. There is still an odor to our treatments. It's just not as strong. You know, it smells it's, it's a little more like bread baking rather than uh, <laughs> you know, dead animals. Rather than hardware so, store. <laughs> yeah. And the hardware store smell is the worst, you know. It is. Oh, my gosh. It is the but worst. I, I think it's fair, though, to to claim right at this point that that's part of the reason organic drifted away to synthetics, if you will, because the synthetics are uh, – they tend to have less odor. They, they tend to be uh, less bulky. They tend to be more consistent. They tend to be uh, easier to apply in many cases. So – Sometimes you go full circle with these kinds of things, and it doesn't surprise me what what, what Alex is saying, Alec rather. And um, but the the client has to understand that this comes with part of the package to some extent. And there are great liquid amino acid products, protein products too, that have little odor uh, that can help fill that niche, if you will, that organic niche. But at the end of the day, you put urea down, you won't know you put urea down an hour or two later, especially if it gets watered in at all. And that's part of the reason we drifted away from organics. My, during my grandfather's era, that's all there was was organics. Milorganite was a big thing, which is kind of a variance of bile salt, if you will. Yep. My father managing a golf course, gosh, how many, this is going back 80 or so years ago now, um, all they had was organics. And now, you know, we're kind of trying to find this hybrid approach, if you will, because I'm not a purist. You know, I still use ureas and, and ammonium. I just use, for example, ammonium nitrate to get that little bit of a quicker bang out of it because I got to stay ahead aware as the golfers come and use the course during this cold period where the grass normally isn't growing too much. So you spoon feed light rates. You know, I can get away with doing things that homeowners have a hard time doing or Alec at, 
as a at a commercial site because we're here every day. So I can go out there with very, very light rates of these materials and apply them to the turf and not have it be lost to the atmosphere or lost to uh, runoff because they're so light rates that the plant's able to utilize them to some, you know, for the most part. And I can keep walking down that path uh, until the organics kick in, which is basically when the soil temperatures uh, are, are higher and it, then it kind of goes into its own uh, mechanisms of release. And that's, and, a take off. and that's a really good point is that you can treat things differently. And that and so I want to get back to the homeowner because I know a lot of homeowners are thinking, well, this is kind of geeky here. I'm, I'm totally into it. Uh, but um, they're, they don't quite get all this stuff. They just say, I want my lawn to be green. I don't want it, there to be weeds. Um, I don't want it to, I don't want to have any smell. I don't want to have any interruption in my life whatsoever. I don't want even want to think don't about want to it. Don't want to have the dog tracking it in. That, uh, that's right. Um, so a couple of things that we need to address here is um, in terms of synthetics, not just lawn care that you're doing, Alec, but when folks go to a hardware store or the big box store and they're buying a big old bag of fertilizer, they're getting a bag of fertilizer, uh, especially if it's synthetic. There's a couple of things we need to talk about. One is that a lot of times it's called weed and feed. Um, um, and weed and feed is just another name for uh, synthetic fertility and poison in my word. Uh, and it, but if you, if you label it synthetic fertility and poison, nobody would buy it. Um, and, uh, the 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 but the real problem it seems to me is the amount of nitrogen that we put into our fertilizers and you live on the shores of Lake Erie Alec we live on the shores of Lake Michigan we know what excessive nitrogen and phosphorus can do to our our great lake so how uh, Alec do you address that problem first of all I apologize my kids are not doing a great job of keeping the dogs quiet and, oh, don't uh, worry about that. We, we, we want, we want, no, we want um, animals on the show. Peggy's dog, uh, Basil, uh, often barks during the, the middle of the program. So, yeah. and then right. my, and my cat cool. barks as well during the show. So there you go. I'll try not to bark. Um, <laughs> the, uh, so for your question was the lake, how do we address that? Yeah. So, I mean, when you go into the hardware store, what you smell is the is really the pesticides the 2,4-D? I think has a pretty good odor. Um, the fertilizer doesn't smell too badly, but it's kind of we talked about this. The the pesticides, I think different. You know, different things have different um, toxicities, and some are more maybe uh, potentially problem causing for people and pets and animals. Um, and those are kind of short term. You'll if you're you, you'll contact them in your yard. You know, so if you if you get a if you put down a weed and feed and you walk around in it and you bring it into your house, you need know, it might be in your carpet for a while. Um, so that's something that's kind of more acutely dangerous for you. But what people don't maybe put together as much as what you mentioned is, you know, I don't know that your golf course Dan has a lot of storm drains going throughout it. But every yard, you know, everything that washes off there, that nitrogen is is really mobile. So you know. A good percentage of what gets put down will wash off and get into the drain and work its way down to the lake. And in all those excess nutrients, you know, cause that algal blooms, which which we've had a lot of problems with in Lake Erie on um, the last few years. Oh yeah. Um, so yeah. I'm trying to trying to use slow release and 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 frankly just a lot fewer 
you know, I think a standard chemical lawn care program is probably putting four to five pounds of nitrogen per thousand square feet down here. And, you know, when you, we try to do that with organic nitrogen and, and limit it to one in, you know, one and three quarters pounds. So it's, it's both less and less mobile. So that's how we try to address that. Yeah. And, and when we, and, and I, and part of the problem in America, and I've talked about this before, um, is that uh, uh, folks think that if some is good, more is better. Um, and that's not the way it works with fertilizers, is it, Dan? No, that's a good point. And I sometimes in the past have been guilty of thinking like that. If one's good, two's got to be better. But you're going to bring <laughs> up a good point. And Alec brings up another good point, which are basically BMPs, you know, best management practices. And if you're doing your own lawns and that, you know, any fertilizer, any material that finds its way on sidewalks, curbs, that has a direct route to a drain in the next rain event, that's not good. That's horrible. Uh, we're fortunate that the lawn tends to be a pretty effective biofilter that if applied properly, um, these inputs, these materials with proper rates, proper timing, that um, it's, it stays put. It tends to stay put pretty well. That's what science has shown us. But if you get it on a hardscape, it, that changes the game. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, listen, we're going to have to take a break here. And here's what the plan is. Uh, Dan, I'm going to have you do wander out to the back, and we'll see if our uh, uh, on-site um, to- <laughs> tour of uh, the back 40 there uh, works okay. Uh, you can do that while we're on the break, and we'll chat a little more uh, with uh, Alec. Um, about uh, the kinds of things that uh, he's doing and very specific uh, instructions for folks uh, who uh, are, you know, it's spring, it's still April, what folks should be doing at this time of year with their lawns and, and, and aside oh, planning from, to do right planning. Well, you know, you could be doing some stuff right now too. Um, and, uh, and I want to get to this thing that's going on in Westmont that I, mentioned on uh, uh, on my uh, blog post which is the no mow till mother's day which is something that i just have never heard of until now and it's an, a very interesting uh thing uh, dan and i were talking about that yesterday so we got all this stuff coming up it's the mike novak show with peggy malecki and we will be right back you know summertime can mean a lot of fun for us especially if we have access to swimming pools, air conditioning, or ice-cold drinks. But for others, it could be a real struggle, especially if you can't take shelter or go get a glass of water because you're, well, rooted. Lack of moisture is the most common cause of stress in a landscape, one that is particularly difficult on trees that are very young or very old. It could take months or even years for a tree to fully recover from drought conditions, and that's if it recovers at all. If the leaves or needles on your tree are wilting, discolored, or perhaps even falling off, they could be affected by drought conditions. If this stress is allowed to persist, this tree could be attacked by boring insects or even fall prey to stem and root disease. Sounds awful, right? But what can be done? I mean, you can't control the weather. Not to worry, because we can provide your trees with some much needed relief. We can give you guidance on mulching and irrigation. We can monitor your tree for boring insects, bark beetles, diseases, and other common problems that typically impact stressed trees. And upon the return of favorable conditions, fertilizing and pruning can go a long way 
to help your trees rebound and endure drought conditions. From small boat fishermen to your dinner table with safe, free, no-contact delivery, Sitka Salmon Shares brings premium wild Alaska seafood to your door. They're a community-supported fishery offering shares just like your local CSA. All fish is wild caught in season with respect for the limits of the ocean. Line caught and traceable to their fleet. Use promo code NOVAK25 for $25 off the first month of a share. Go to SitkaSalmonShares.com slash N-O-W-A-K. At this time of year, we spend a lot of time indoors with our plants, so help them thrive. The plants you're viewing were treated with Leafzyme, a foliage spray designed to activate beneficial microbes already present on the leaves. A spritz every few weeks promotes growth-enhancing microorganisms that process dust and other particles into nutrition that indoor plants can absorb through their leaves for beautiful and vigorous growth. Go to blazing-star.com and check out their BioGarden line for home gardeners. Since 2001, DiveHeart has been revolutionizing rehabilitation using zero gravity and scuba therapy to give confidence, independence, self-esteem, and yes, freedom to children, veterans, and others with disabilities. At DiveHeart, we believe in the power of partnership because together we can do great things. Let DiveHeart help you imagine the possibilities in your life. Go to DiveHeart.org to learn more. And welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Let's change, look at this. You can see our cam is on the move look out. Look at that beautiful blue sky. Isn't that nice? Uh, it's cold, though. It's chilly in Chicago. Uh, Alec, I don't know what it's like uh, in uh, Cleveland today, but it, we're about 40 degrees when I looked at the thermometer out back. Yeah, it's a little chillier. It's it's going to be, uh, we were talking this week, you know, it's, it's, it's going to go from snow to 80 in, in seven it's, days. So. That's crazy. All right. And, and I can see uh, Dan outside. Well, it's, it's since he's there. Dan, can you hear me? Yes. Can you hear me? Yeah. Yeah, okay. absolutely. What are we looking at here? These are some of the materials we use, mostly with the organic approach. This, for example, is uh, beer waste that we pick up at a couple of local breweries and we um, we mix this in with other organic materials like yard waste compost, um, sometimes biosolids. You can kind of see the remnants of the barley and whatnot. And we like this material uh, because it tends to grow a lot of fungus. If you can see the white lines here, we also mm -hmm. spike this with trichoderma, which is a known beneficial fungus. And beer waste, uh, when you get the CN ratio reasonable, tends to be a really good that's all mycelium you see that white mycelium yeah yeah it tends to really harbor a good fungal key there so that's our beer this is just some of bulk bags of different we use everything from um our own uh, vermicompost to biochar to purchase vermicompost and some high level composted materials i don't know if you can see in the shade here or not but this yep. was a big bin. Kenya, thanks, Peggy. Um, this was what we call static pile. And what we was these aeration tubes. It's got these slits in it. And uh, we had a manifold in the front that would put a leaf blower in. And we let this cook and made our own 
compost static pile approach. And then collectively what we do with these, we do different things. We use it for a soil amendment, uh, compost tea, like Alec mentioned. Some materials are to make extracts or, or we make sea, for example, one, one pile I made up with, with a lot of sand, we call it a two, one, one mix. We use two parts coarser sand, one part of the beer waste compost and one part of the, um, the, the other compost material, the static air uh, pile compost. And then <laughs> this material here, you can see how it really doesn't compact very easily. So this is a good mix that we use that's got a pretty good nutrient component, some biology with these composts, but we can put these in high wear prone areas, areas that want to compact from overuse with people or traffic or whatnot. Uh, uh, can you hear me there, Dan? Yeah. Okay. Uh, uh, whoops. Let's bring everybody back in here. Uh, one of the things I want to uh, talk about, since you're talking about sand and Alec, um, Dan obviously uh, works in an area where there's a lot of traffic. And so they, especially greens, so they're, they're, they're really sand-based. Can you use sand at all in any of your treatments to help with uh, prevent against compaction, Alec? You know, it's not something that we, that we typically would do. We'd try to do the other part of what Dan, Dan is doing, which is trying to, try to decrease compaction by encouraging soil, healthy soil biology. Uh -huh. um, which can you know mm -hmm. kind of bind particles together and create space between them, um, but it would be difficult for us to add enough sand, I think, to make make a big impact. So, um, uh, so let I'm me let me, to, let me ask. Okay, you're gonna well, go ahead and ask your question of Dan. I was just gonna ask Dan: Are your greens mostly sand-based greens? Or you? Yeah. So. Alec, you bring up a great point that if you don't get the ratios right, you can make basically concrete if you're not if you're not careful. So, so you could see hopefully in this light, this is a high percent of sand, um, but if you if you don't get a high enough percent, then uh, it can go the other direction. And what Alec is trying to do then is trying to encourage soil biology and uh, improve soil structure by that process and that works, but if it constantly gets trampled on, it's hard for nature to, to keep pace with the abuse and the wear. So on putting greens, our sand content even is higher. It's 90%. So this is the straight sand that our greens are constructed with. And what we do is the guys during frosty mornings or rainy days, we mix biochar with vermicompost, which is what the You're breaking up a little, Dan. Yeah, he is. Get that material at 50-50, and then at 10% at, at by volume, this is what we end up using on our sands, or I mean on our greens, so, rather. So, so, Dan, you broke up just a little bit when you had the verma, verma, uh, the vermicompost and biochar. If you could go back to that other bucket. All right, so what we do is this is the straight sand. Can you hear me now, Peggy? Yeah, yeah, we are good. Yeah. Okay. So this is the straight sand that our greens are constructed out of and that we top dress with. And we add 10% by volume, this 50-50 blend of vermicompost with biochar. And this is what you end up with. And if you showed this to anybody, you would think this was straight sand. But 10% by volume of this has got this material in there, 
which then under such high use, high volume on those putting greens, the drainage will continue to, to uh, function. The compaction will mm -hmm. be, but we're adding biology and niches or habitat and carbon and biology collectively with these other materials, hoping to make that sand work at a higher level. And what I mean by that, have it hold a little more moisture, improve the CEC, right? The cation exchange capacity and any nutrients then that are in that material will tend to stay in that material until the plant utilizes it. Where straight sand, it tends to flush out if there's a heavy rain event. All right, that takes us uh, to uh, uh, something else. And let me pop everybody back up here uh, that we're dealing with here. And it's very different. And Alec, I want you to address this is that uh, Dan is working with different kinds of turf than you are. All right, you're, he's, uh, Dan, you're using bent greens. Uh, is that uh, a, a bent grass? Uh, is that on the greens and the fairways? What are the different kinds of turf you're using? That's correct. Bent grass, primarily bent grass, creeping right. bent. And, and Alec, people don't want bent grass in their lawns, right? Yeah, I mean, bent grass is a, a little more finicky grass, and it requires a little extra care, you know, loving care that, you know, Dan can do with, you know, really controlling how they're watering it and controlling, um, you know, the soil that it's growing in. Uh, so bent grass in a home lawn can be okay, it, but it, it, it gets a little finicky if it doesn't get the right amount of water. It's, it's subject to, uh, it's, it's real susceptible to insect and disease activity. Um, so you wouldn't plant it intentionally. So talk about find it in the right. It's that that yeah. is something you don't want. So what I really want to focus though is on the 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 grasses. We're in the northern tier, so we we, we plant what are called uh, cool uh, weather grasses. Uh, what are those grasses, and and how are they maintained? Sure. So the traditional kind of big three cool season grasses would be uh, Kentucky bluegrass um, mm -hmm. and perennial ryegrass. And the fine fescue family, which there's there's kind of a, a big number there, and the bluegrass and ryegrass do pretty well in the sun, and the fine fescues do pretty well in the shade. And so you mix them all together, and you put them in your yard, and whatever grows in each spot kind of takes hold. Um, and that's an okay mix. What, what we use a lot of is a lot of turf type tall fescues, and the turf type tall fescues were kind of traditionally more used in the transition zone, a little farther south kind of in the Kentucky region, maybe. Um, and they, but they have a deeper root system. They're really resistant to insects. They're mostly resistant to a lot of the diseases. They don't require a lot of nutrients to stay green. So that's been a pretty, um, that's been kind of a, a grass of choice, um, turf type tall fescues. And we mix those with a little bit of, you know, uh, Kentucky bluegrass as well, because Kentucky bluegrass will spread Whereas the ryegrass and the tall fescues will not spread; they just kind of grow from a taproot. They're they're clumping grasses, and 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 I think yeah. most most people uh, assume that. Well, when they think of lawns, they think of Kentucky bluegrass. That's you know that's mm -hmm. what they think is a lawn. But you don't want a, a straight species, as you say. You want a mix of different species in in your lawn, right? Different species and different cultivars of the species. So if you go to the hardware store to buy your grass seed, you want to look to see. You don't want to just buy 
a bag that says Kentucky Bluegrass, you want to buy a bag that says, you know, Avenger Kentucky Bluegrass, something that's got a name on it. Um, yeah. Because the grasses with the names are generally a little bit better. And if you were really into it, you could go on the NTEP National Turf Grass Evaluation Program website, which is, I think, was named like the top one of the top 10 government waste of money programs, but I think it's pretty important. Um, <laughs> and you could kind of find the particular cultivar that would be the best. But in general, you want to look for the grasses that have names. Uh, okay. Um, now, uh, where are you, uh, Dan? Where uh, I'm, I'm seeing uh, lots of uh, grass here. Well, I'm lucky because I caught an airifier hole. This will show people how important air is to roots. Can you kind of see the white? I don't know how well you can see. Can you see the roots at the end of my probe? Let me pop yeah. this up there. Okay. Yeah, there we go. So that, uh, I, I'm trying to get a couple samples so people understand the differences and how Alex world and homeowner world is a little different than golf world in some cases. But out in the fairway, this is pretty much a natural soil, heavy, silty clay loam that we top dress with the compost every year. And the way Alec mentioned soil structure, one of the things you look, see, look at all those white roots. See that? Can you see that? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So that's an open airifier hole. I was just lucky to hit one. But when you get soil to pop in your hand, see, this is pretty heavy soil. And, but you can see how it crumbles. You see how it crumbles like that? Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's what you want. You want that soil, crumbly soil structure. But when you get concentrated traffic, that structure tends to get destroyed. It increases the bulk density and it just simply compacts. And um, especially under certain conditions, if the moisture is just, you know, right in the sense of it being a little wet. So then on greens, we have to rely more on a sandier mix. So when you see this, you think it's crazy because it looks like we're going grass basically on sand, but it works. Can you see the roots there? Yeah. They're much smaller. Well, they're, they're more fibrous. And closer to the well, I couldn't get deep enough, Peggy, but it's all in here. Um, I'm trying to hold my phone, but it does a reasonable job. Um, you know, I'd rather have a soil-based system because it's more forgiving. But, like I mentioned, if this was soil-based, the turf would be suffering because it just would be overcompacted. And then on the tees, I took this core out a little earlier, we kind of take a hybrid approach where you can see it's still a sandy soil. You can see the white roots, I hope. I'm not sure how well yep. this camera's working. No, this camera's working. It's working great. We can see it Looks very great. clearly. And you can kind of see the sand content is higher near the surface of the tee. This is what we call the mat layer, right? You have the layer near the surface or at the surface called thatch. And then as you get below the soil surface, the organic material that the plant tends to generate is called mat. And you want, you know, you, only, you don't want to test a thatch or mat really, but this mat layer is what slowly decomposes and helps build soil. And so if you look at grasses as a whole, and as an ecologist, grasses are really pretty cool. Not only does it provide a ton of food for us with corn and whatnot, but it, uh, 
it's a pioneer plant. So when you have new soils, whether it's from a landslide or volcanic eruption or whatever, um, grasses tend to be the ones that are colonizing the earliest. And then it goes from forbs to shrubs to trees to climax forest. That's how most systems evolve from young to old. And the reason is grasses with their small seeds travel pretty good in the air and uh, at fibrous roots really helps to mm -hmm. anchor the soils and they ultimately build soils. So our native grasses is largely responsible for the corn belt. The prairie plants, which grasses are a big part of, and the annual and, and the burning that would take place that makes char naturally as the prairies would burn, whether it's through lightning strikes or through the Native Americans later, um, and the grazing that the buffalo did. So those would those elements would help preserve those natural systems to stay as grasslands longer and, mm -hmm. and prevent the evolution, if you will. But but grass, what I'm trying to get at is grasses are pretty well programmed to grow in improvised soils because they're, they're designed to actually come in early in nutrient-poor soils, if you will, and, and slowly convert them to nutrient-rich, high organic material that then the next succession of plants will start to take over. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Great mm -hmm. stuff. All right, I want to get to yeah. Alex, uh, Alec here um, and this uh and talk about you're you're obviously more as as uh dan yeah. mentioned earlier you want folks to have good uh uh soil that's not sand based because they're not doing the same thing that uh um that dan is doing so when you uh are trying to fix people's soil what are you doing uh i, I imagine core aerating is is part of it if you've got compacted soil uh, we talked about adding compost uh these are all part of the strategies right Sure, absolutely. And, you know, it's interesting. We've worked a little bit with golf courses in our in our career. And I'd be curious to know, I, mean, I think one one organism that's really great at alleviating compaction is the earthworm. You know, the tunnels that it makes, and it can it can pull that mat and thatch layer down and, and move it into the soil. But where we've worked with golf courses, typically they don't like having earthworms because the, the little castings they leave on the surface cause a problem. Um, so we try to encourage earthworms as much as we can. What we'll notice is that when you stop using, when a client stops using a synthetic program, they start to have worms. And, and they'll, they'll mention that to us, you know, all of a sudden when it rains, they'll see them on their sidewalk occasionally. And, uh, and so that, that maybe they'll start to get more moles. And moles are a little bit of a sign of kind of healthy biological, you know, some, some living things there. So the short answer is coriation is like a nice quick fix when you've got a lot of thatch or you've got a lot of compaction. It will alleviate that quickly. It'll give the grass roots a place to grow right away. Um, but what we try to do is, is we're not dealing with as much traffic usually, um, except for on some athletic fields. But in the home lawn, we try to just encourage the biology, try to get those earthworms growing. We do use, we do kind of a mixture we call a liquid aeration. Um, which is a plant-based uh, kind of a wetting agent um, that helps water move down into the soil. And then we add, you know, high doses of carbon and some beneficial bacteria and fungi that help break down thatch and convert it into nutrients. So that, I'd, in the longer run, I'd rather be doing more liquid aeration type products or services than core aeration. 
Uh, the really? Okay, is good if you've got a really if you've got a bad problem if it's really poor soil or if it's a really you know high thick layer of thatch aeration on the home lawn is, is probably necessary. But once you get that biological activity going, it's not as necessary. They're not getting the same traffic that a golf course is getting where they need mm-hmm. to do that. So, so you're time. saying that, okay, if you start with hard pan, yeah, you might not need to do uh, core aeration. But if you have kind of average soil, you're saying is, is if you bring in the biology, it's going to open up those pores, uh, open up those spaces in the soil and make it more friable. What we found is two, two, it's kind of a multiple pronged approach. It's, it's feeding the biology and adding biology, and it's balancing the nutrient levels. You know, in Chicago, there's a lot of high magnesium soils, which kind of create a tighter clay soil. So we want to offset that um, and, and get the, make sure there's enough calcium, do what we need to do to keep the nutrients balanced, and then encourage the biological life. And yes, try to you know use core aeration where necessary, but not necessarily all the time. Okay, that's 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 very interesting. Mm-hmm. I, I want to show a couple of quick photos yeah. here. That we've uh, also got a question that came up um, uh, in the feed for Alec too. Okay, uh, let's get to that in a second. I, but but I want to make sure that we are able to get some of these photos in. So let's uh, pop this in. Um, this is uh, some of the work you've done. And you say on the left, it's tre- untreated lawn. On the right, it's treated lawn. When you say treated, what do you mean? Sure. So that's, that would be kind of like a whole program approach, you know. Uh, so what we're trying to do is, is just encourage the grass to discourage the weeds. And probably on that picture on the right, I would imagine we've done some seeding. I think on that picture on the left, there's it looks like there's ground ivy, creeping Charlie, right? And there's certain nutrients that, that creeping Charlie doesn't like, so we've probably fed the lawn on the right with those nutrients, um, such it, as it's kind of a well for for ground ivy, it's primarily boron. Um, so mm-hmm. in a lot of our soils, this picture is in Ohio and Cleveland, are pretty low in boron. So a foliar treatment helps the grass, and uh, and kind of doesn't kill the ground ivy but it it puts it at less of an advantage um and then you can tell that the lawn on the right's mowed pretty high uh they're doing the right cultural practices so yeah yeah let's let's move to it let's move to yeah i'm gonna move to a shot of that which is this all right this um, yeah okay uh explain what we've got here yeah so I just I feel like I saw this walking out down the street, you know, a few years ago, and it's basically two not very good lawns. You know, they're right next to each other, and one neighbor, you know, had mowed their grass pretty recently, and you can see probably they let it grow up pretty tall, and they cut it short, so they removed more of the grass blade at one time than would be ideal, and when you do that, you really you really stress the plant. Now, they may have had some dull mower blades, which could cause some of that browning, too. If you have dull mower blades, the grass will, you know, the tips will dry out. They'll be more susceptible to fungal problems and things that make it turn brown. Um, but just mowing right can make such a difference in the home lawn. Well, and, and when you and say when mowing right, mowing right is yeah. two things. is making sure your blades are sharp, and this is something you can do at this time of year. Make sure before you, your first mow that the blades are, you've sharpened your blades. Uh, and second is not mowed too uh, low. Uh, don't scalp your turf. Here's another shot uh, that shows pretty much the same thing. Yeah, and then, and, you know, someone, somewhere we showed up at this lawn, and they were half the way done cutting it. And what you can see on the right, it's nice and green and thick. 
and they took that lawn and cut it, they probably removed 60% of that grass blade. You know, if the, if the grass was six inches tall, it looks like they cut it down to two inches, which all that will shock the grass and basically cause it to, you know, stop putting its energy into, into uh, fighting for its territory and make it a lot easier for weeds to come in. So if you're trying to have a kind of a traditional looking lawn without using chemicals, cutting off too much of your grass blade at one time is a really bad thing to do. It'll look worse and it'll have more weeds. So what we'd suggest is is don't remove more than a third of the blade at any one time. So if you if you let it grow up to six inches, don't cut it any shorter than four inches when you when you go down to the mowing. And four inches is a lot higher than typically recommended. Um, so you know, but we'd say three, somewhere between three and four and a half inches would be a good mowing height, depending on the grass types you have. What other tips? Uh, and uh, let's see, I, Dan, I don't know if you're, it looks like you might be frozen there. I'm not sure what's going on. It looks like he might have gone to the uh, the uh, compost bin there with the food scraps. Um, and now it's, yeah. Okay, yeah, he's headed. Uh, wait till you see this. You got to go to the, the food scrap bin, Dan, if you can hear me. Uh, cause, and that's that red container you see in the photo. Uh, or the screen on the lower left. But uh, Alec, if you had, what is what advice would you give people? One thing I will tell you is I looked up recently, um, you know, because in February I started seeing the Scots ads for slamming fertilizer on your lawn. And I know that's not right because people are, are going to do that right away. Uh, so I went and I looked at Michigan State University and Cornell, um, and I put both of those links on my blog post mm-hmm. so people can see them. And they both recommend, they say, even if you're going to fertilize in the spring, and there are studies that say if you're going to fertilize at any time of the year, do it in the fall. You might not even need to do it more than once. And you're nodding, so you agree with that. If you have to, if you if you just can't keep yourself from fertilizing stuff um, in the spring, don't do it before May. Okay, is what I'm what I'm hearing. Um, do you have any comment on that? You know, I think that for in terms of nutrients, you want to get most of your nutrients down in the look at those, look at those guys. Look at those. Oh, wait, 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 go, um, go, go. I'm about to get a close up of that. Look at those uh, worms. Uh, hold that up again, uh, Dan. That is just so awesome. This and this is the stuff that Dan is uh, putting in. I guess he can't hear me. Yeah, that's the vermicompost yeah. stuff. It's it's just too cool. Let it. Yeah, we're it's it. You're totally least, broken up, Dan. Well, we've got we the image, you, though. That's all. Hear. We got the image. That's okay. But I want the tips right now. Be- there we go. Look at that. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. And that's what he's applying. He's creating that and applying it to uh, the course. Uh, all right. But, anyway, back here. Mike, hey, well, while we're on this subject, I just want to show something for at home, if I could. Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know if this will show up on the camera, but. Well, let's you know, pop this up here. Food waste, the food waste problem at home. Like this is my iron block is light. No, no, you but got it. You're, you're good. Like, you make a lot of this stuff at home. And I've always struggled with that. And composting, you've tried vermicomposting at home. Um, and it's a challenge. But yeah. there's this cool, coolest new machine, Vitamix, the people that make blenders. Yeah. They came up with a machine that uh, basically turns your food waste into fertilizer. I wouldn't call it exactly compost, but it, it reduces that waste and turns it into things mm-hmm. that the plants can use. We, put it, we use it every night, and uh, it's an awesome 
it's an awesome little tool there. So just a quick plug if you're trying to figure out what to do with your food waste. Um, so there you go. All right. What was your other question, Mike? Um, wait, what was my other question? I, I don't even remember yeah. right now. I, I, uh, I don't know, but we were also going to mention. So, oh, yeah, go ahead, Peggy. We were going to, yeah, the, the holding Fertili off. Right, on, holding off on the fertilizer. Also, no mow till Mother's Day. That was the other thing. Oh, right. Let me pop yeah. that up because this is, uh, if I can uh, get uh, the sign here, and our friend Pat Sketch. Uh, who sometimes fills in for meteorologist Rick DeMaio. Good old Pat. And I have to take and this Gina. out. Uh, and Gina. And there's a sign in Westmont. And they're doing a no-mow till Mother's Day. And you're, it's a voluntary thing. And uh, the idea is uh, to let some of the turf grow for a little bit so that it will benefit pollinators in the spring. This is the first I've heard of it. And Peggy and I uh, did a little searching. I found a study. and She found a study. Uh, on this uh, and uh, apparently if you the upshot of this is if you mow less meaning uh, every other week instead of every week it benefits every two weeks it, it yeah it, yeah every like I said every other week it benefits uh, pollinators um, and this is something that I wasn't that uh, aware of um, and um and I think there needs to be more research into this. So uh, I, I just thought it was interesting, Alec, because I had not seen this. Had you heard of this kind of an initiative before? Yeah, it's, it's news to me, but it's, it's really interesting. Um, what would happen, what happens, it kind of depends what you want. I think it's cool to have some biodiversity in your lawn. And if you mow less, you're going to be encouraging more kind of what some people might call weeds and some people might call pollinator food sources so it depends on what your priority is there and uh so yeah mowing every couple of weeks yeah you'll probably have more things that are not grass going in your yard which could right. be either either positive or negative depending on what you want well yeah then i'll mention one thing that i'll mention one thing that i think covers both helps with both that we do a lot of micro clover and mm -hmm. so clover is like a, a really cool plant because it mixes so well with the grass and you can mow it at a at a typical grass mowing height and still get some flowers that will help with your pollinators. And it pulls nitrogen and, and fertilizer out of the air to help feed the grass that it's mixed with. And then so so your grass is greener, it stays greener in the summer because clover stays greener than grass in the heat, and it helps to kind of cool the soil. So that's a I, I love the clover mix with the lawn to kind of be that happy medium so your neighbors aren't mad at you but you still are helping pollinators and reducing your fertilizer use Neighbor, and all that stuff. you know my feeling is don't bow to neighbor pressure okay just, just yeah. stand your ground be the trendsetter on right your block. you convince right. them yeah. instead of the other way around and clover right. is the perfect example it's it's you know as you say i say to people they say how do i get rid of clover and i say why clover's not a weed it's not all right, and it, yeah. it it is helping pollinators, as you say. It's providing nitrogen, pulling it for free out of the air, putting it into your ground for free. You're not paying Scotts or anybody else for that. Um, what people and, don't like, what people don't like with that, Mike, is they don't like the patchiness. So I've got a patch of white flowers here. Yeah. And so our solution to that is often let's not try to get rid of it. Let's try to add 
to it so it's more uniform and it looks really nice it's a really nice look all right we need to wrap up here dan has just been giving us these wonderful photo uh view. The tour. i love this uh and one of the things you need to know about north shore country club in glenview is those lakes are stocked with fish they are clean this is not where you uh, you sometimes go to a golf course and the water's green and you wouldn't touch it you know if your ball goes in there don't reach in because your hand won't come back with it um <laughs> And uh, and you're pretty proud of that, aren't you, Dan? Yeah. One thing I wanted to point out here, though, because these are all great talking points, um, we added about 14 acres of fine fescues, hard fescues, sheep fescues, low input. They don't like water. They don't like nutrients. <laughs> and I don't know if you can make this out, but we're going to – This is these are called no-mow areas. So we will not mow these except for once a year in the fall, and we clean up all <laughs> the debris and mow it down. But right about here is the line. This is yep. the bluegrass rough. So this is considered far enough out of play that this will turn. This will grow up knee high or slightly higher and turn brown in midsummer because it's a cool season grass, like you mentioned, Mike. A lot of our native grasses can do similar, but they turn brown later in the year because most of them are warm season grasses, like yeah. the blue stem mm-hmm. and the Indian grass and switch grass. So we want the show to occur during this golf season. And these have been a wonderful element, uh, not only visually to break up scape a little bit, but also to encourage habitat. We don't mow it except for once a year, like I mentioned. So we're saving energy and uh, obviously not, you know. And you're providing some... And you're providing some kind of habitat and uh, and that's where my ball will end up. Uh, uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> we'll be waiting for that video too. Yeah. Okay. Uh, let's get everybody back on the screen. And um, uh, I want to thank you all. We, we need to break here. We've gone way over time and now he's in the cart. Now he's moving fast. You can see that. Uh, Dan Donnelly, uh, superintendent North shore country club. Thank you. Alec McLennan um, from um, good nature, organic lawn care folks. They're in Chicago. Now uh, we need to have you back to talk more about lawn care and specifically what folks can do. Um, and you know, if, as Dan is driving there, you will see some red tailed hawks as well, which are on the course. I'm just tempted to just leave this on forever, but I can't. Um, so thank you both for being with us. And uh, I hope I see you both again really, really soon. Nice to see you all. Thanks Thank for you. having me. All right, Alec. Thanks, take Dave. care. And uh, ha- happy spring to, to everybody. All right, when we come back, boy, we're way over time here, but don't worry. We will uh, make up for it in, in our next segment. We've got Taryn Lichtenberger uh, talking about 2021 City Nature, Challenge. City Nature Challenge, and we'll be right back. You know, deer are a common problem in many landscapes, and they can have a devastating effect. They forage and browse on a wide range of trees and shrubs, and you know, they can eat up to six pounds of plant material each day. Well, the result, those flowers that you've been waiting so patiently for can be gone in a matter of one single day. And once the deer have established themselves in your landscape, you can look forward to lush green hedges being defoliated right down to the sticks, buck rubbing the bark off of trees with their antlers, And worst of all, ticks. More deer in your landscape mean more ticks that carry Lyme disease and other viruses. Unfortunately, deer adapt to home remedies pretty quickly, and deer fencing can be effective, 
but it can also take away from the visual appeal of your landscape. The most practical approach to deer management is a repellent program, customized to the amount of deer pressure you're experiencing, the time of year, and your personal preferences. Bartlett Tree Experts uses several different products, all tested at the grounds of our research laboratory to ensure effectiveness. So, feel free to take down the home remedies and let us handle your deer management needs. You have the ability to give your soil a superpower. It's called composting. If you don't have a backyard, you need to contact Collective Resource Compost. CRC has diverted 7,000 tons of food scraps since 2010. They bring you a fresh 5-gallon bucket or a 32-gallon neighbor tote with each pickup. You fill it with organic matter from your kitchen, they swap it out and get it to a commercial composting operation. Fight climate change. Go to collectiveresource.us. Welcome to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Green, gardening, and environment radio with just a sipson of humor. Or is that a dash? Brought to you by Bartlett Tree Experts. Every tree needs a champion. Go to Bartlett.com. Here they are again, Peggy Malecki and Mike Novak. All I need is good food to eat and make me healthy, wealthy, wide awake. Lettuce, tomatoes, root of bacon. What about those sweet potatoes? All I need is good food to eat. All I need is good food to eat. All I need is good tools to make me music, porches, lawn, serene. And here we are. All that I can take. Welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. And Taryn, thank you so much. You've been, you've been very, very patient uh, watching our, 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 you know, wandering around on a golf cart <laughs> and, and talking lawns. And uh, uh, we're just so pleased to have you here because now we are going to introduce a chance for folks to be citizen scientists starting next weekend. That is so cool. Tell us a little bit about uh, the City Nature Challenge 2021. Thanks for having me on. That sounded like a great discussion. Um, The City Nature Challenge is this collaboration meets friendly competition, uh, documentation of wildlife, the cool flora and fauna in urban areas in cities really across the world. It's kind of this international event um, that focuses on getting people out, um, better understanding urban biodiversity in their area. Um, we take advantage of the mobile app and the website, iNaturalist, um, and we have, we encourage people to get out and in, engage with the world around them by taking photos of plants and animals or recordings of bird calls um, and getting together at organized events and going out and documenting what is around them and um, identifying that and trying to see just how many people we can get involved and how much we can see. <laughs> just get as many people involved as you possibly can. Um, and and what... using an app makes it easy. Yeah, right in the palm of your hand. Yeah, well, I'll tell you what. Uh, we have a video that uh, you guys uh, sent to – you sent it uh, – to us that sort of gives you an overview of this. So let's let's pop this on and this gives us that overview and then we can we can go into details. Welcome to the 2021 City Nature Challenge. Now more than ever, 
We need to study nature in cities around the globe. We can't fully protect nature on this planet without studying what is living in cities. Help us by joining the over 350 cities worldwide as some compete and some collaborate to see how many wildlife observations we can gather together. Using cameras and smartphones, tens of thousands of people will take pictures or record sounds of wildlife in their home cities, all contributing to an international database of urban wildlife that will be used by scientists and naturalists to help understand nature in our cities and work to make them better places for humans and wildlife to live. Just imagine how many observations we can make, all working together. Go to citynaturechallenge.org to see if you're in one of the cities taking part between April 30th and May 3rd. Then take pictures of wildlife and upload them to our global database using iNaturalist or your city's preferred platform. Watch as experts all over the world help to identify your observations. Join the 2021 City Nature Challenge or follow along and see how we work together to change the world. That is really, really cool. Um, mm-hmm. And that explains everything. So we're done here, Taryn. <laughs> Good night, everybody. We're going out for breakfast. See ya. Yeah, okay. Uh, <laughs> no, that's uh, that's excellent. And uh, by the way, I should explain, you know, and uh, someday when people examine my style as an interview host, they're going to say, Michael never really introduced people at the top of our conversations. <laughs> uh, Taryn uh, works at the Chicago Botanic Garden. And as you can see under her name, she's part of Budburst dot org in addition to working on the city nature challenge um but the botanic garden is part of this initiative as our groups like uh, chicago wilderness and the shed aquarium and uh, who am i uh, chicago park district um all partners in uh in this effort to get people outdoors with their cameras and record nature um very briefly, tell us a little bit about Budburst. We've talked about what used to be called Project Budburst on the show and is now just Budburst. Yeah, Budburst is a project of the Chicago Botanic Garden, as you talked about, and it's a community science platform that focuses on um, plants and animals and also recording them. A little bit different than iNaturalist, we, we look at a plant's whole life stage. So instead mm-hmm. of just docu- documenting biodiversity, we actually ask people to follow a plant through its life cycle or at least record um, kind of what part of its life cycle it, it's in. Um, so those are called phenophases. And so that's things like blooming or when a tree loses its leaves. Mm-hmm. And so we have research that's focused on how those phenophases in plants are being impacted by our changing climate and changing environments that we're in. Yeah, you have uh, one, some... One, Go ahead. I was going to say, one of the other interesting ones I noticed that you guys have open right now, um, and as, as a citizen science ties back to what we talked about on a prior show, is milkweed and monarchs. And discovering yeah, new, what is the best stage. Go yeah, ahead. we have a new research project on that about when when monarchs are kind of choosing to lay their eggs. Uh, and uh, Peggy just sent me an article last night uh that just 
makes you sad uh, about the monarchs, especially when you look at the Western monarch population, mm-hmm. which is basically collapsed. It's, you know, I don't, I don't see it coming back. Uh, I could be wrong. I'm not a scientist. I'm just a radio guy. Um, but uh, the Eastern population, if we don't, if we don't start putting more uh, habitat for monarchs, uh, we're going to wa- wave goodbye to the Eastern monarch as well. And that's on our on us. That's on our heads that we, well, we've extirpated many species, um, uh, and it would just be another in the list. Uh, so this it's, was a uh, Civil Eats article, by the way. I'll post the link. Yeah, that'd be great. Fo- po- folks should look at that. But let's get more positive, and let's talk about folks uh, going out and discovering nature. And it could be kind of any, all right, one of the things we talked about earlier is that it, it's a city challenge, but... In this case, the city is de- defined as 14 counties around the city of Chicago. So you're not there's folks not just within the city limits; they're out in forest preserves and parks and everywhere, aren't they, Taryn? Yes, we we define the Chicago land wilderness area pretty broadly um, in terms of the counties that we include, even parts of Indiana and. Um, Wisconsin. Oh my so gosh, Indiana. Oh no, in Wisconsin. Oh no. Wisconsin. <laughs> yeah. It's focused on, uh, well, you know, you got to include as much so that you get more people involved and we get kind of more more observations going. But uh, it's focused on kind of that, that wilderness or that land kind of look and area instead of just the kind of political versions of the of the counties and so we're trying to encompass as much area as possible well is los angeles like that too and san francisco do they include the the suburban and exurban areas around those cities yeah so every city um can kind of make whatever borders that it wants to it depends also on how many um kind of other competing cities are nearby Uh, So I know Florida has quite a lot of competition going on, um, but um, there's there's one city in Arizona that has kind of like been like, well, what about if we just have like the whole lower half of Arizona? Um, So trying to depends on on that city's kind (laughs) of that's cheating, isn't it? That's cheating. (laughs) If you're going to do a competition and 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 really in the spirit of uh covid it's not so much a competition this year as encouraging people just to get out and let's add to the the stockpile of knowledge that we have yeah and to answer shelly who just posted out of facebook she says can i participate for the chicago from north aurora and that would be certainly um, yeah definitely right because the the counties uh are okay here we are illinois in illinois it's cook dupage grundy kane kankakee Kendall, Lake, McHenry, and Will in Indiana. The counties are Jasper, Lake, Newton, and Porter. And uh, in Wisconsin, Kenosha County is part of this as well. So anybody in those counties can be part of this. And 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 I put on my blog post uh, the information, the links are there, so you can go to uh, the, um, the city... Uh, Chicago City Nature Challenge 2021, but you can also go to the international link as well. Um, and the idea, do you want to walk us through this, uh, Taryn, or should I just uh, read how this works? Um, in terms of adding an observation to iNaturalist and having it go to our challenge? Yeah. I mean... Yeah. So um, we have an iNaturalist project page, 
And the nice thing about iNaturalist is there's options to join the project, but also if you're just making iNaturalist observations, we've designed our project to kind of capture all of those. So whether you join the project or not, as long as you're in our um, border and adding observations to iNaturalist, that'll get kind of covered mm -hmm. and collected in our project. So you'll be joining and participating. Um, and um, that just involves either going out and taking photos and then uploading them to their your computer and submitting observations that way or um, using your phone. Uh, that's what I tend to do because it's a lot easier yeah. and kind of having the mobile app and using the camera to um, take those observations and, and upload them as well. And if you're ever um, not sure, species ID is really hard. You can also just pick kind of like this is an animal or this is a plant, and that helps <laughs> um, identifiers kind of locate it. Well, I was going to ask you about. And this can be any kind of animal or plant. Yes, definitely. It can be There's the sparrows no under Mike's bird feeder. Can, can it? Can exactly. it? Can it be this animal? Alan! 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 <laughs> Alan! Alan! Al! Alan! <laughs> just. Just wondering, I, if I saw that animal out there, I'm definitely taking a picture, okay? Especially if they were calling, Ellen, Ellen, Ellen. <laughs> right, exactly. exactly. Uh, speaking of photos, though, we have some uh, uh, about this initiative. Um, and uh, are these were these all taken by uh, Cassie? Yeah, so these are all um, Cassie's photos from Cassie, um, Cassie, previous sorry. Cassie, sorry. Yes. Cass who, who was originally going to be on the program um, and then uh, had a, a conflict uh, today. So um, we snared you, and we're very happy about this. <laughs> uh, this is a, apparently at Illinois Beach State Park, um, and this is the idea. That's a phone, um, and, and, mm -hmm. and uh, speaking of how to do this, you download the iNaturalist app. Uh, you go to the Chicago Wilderness page, which I have a link to, um, and then you download the app, which you can get at the App Store or Google Play. Um, and then you create an account uh, on iNaturalist. And then you join the City Nature Challenge 2021 Chicago Metro. And then between April 30th and May, 30, uh, May 3rd, uh, it's just those four days, uh, you take photos of wild plants, animals, fungi, and other creatures. Um, Whatever you see. It says, and on the site, it says that includes the organisms themselves, living or dead, uh, or even evidence of them, such as scat, fur, tracks, and shells, which is kind of cool. Um, and then all observations made um, within the counties are automatically added to the project, and then you get feedback and identifications on your observations from actual scientists, experts, and other naturalists. So... This is uh, this is uh, one shot. Let's go to the next one here of moss, which is very very cool. Looks like early in the season, um, and this is at Harms Woods, um, and this is the the shot that I love. This is skunk cabbage. Um, mm -hmm. I don't know where that was taken, but again, Cassie took that that photo. I love skunk cabbage. It is one of my most favorite plants ever. Um, and I have a very fond, I have a fondness for this because um, um, as a lot of people who listen to the show know, I used to have a home in the Pacific Northwest. And um, in the spring, you know, February, 
the skunk cabbage would be coming up in the ditches um, next to the home. There's, uh, and when I say ditch, it was just sort of a drainage area, so it wasn't mm-hmm. nasty or anything. But it, it comes up through the snow. It comes up the earliest plant. Very you can early. Am- yeah. And just the wonderful yellow blooms. And what a, what a cool plant uh, skunk cabbage is. And I kind of miss that. That, uh, that was always the harbinger of spring to me. Um, this is in Northwest Indiana, walking through ferns. Um, I tell you, Cassie's good. She's got some, uh, terrific photos there. Um, and finally, um, it's, uh, some sheet lighting in Harms Woods. So, uh, I imagine that folks are going to go out at night as well to, uh, to get, uh, their photographs, Taryn. Yeah, it's a midnight to midnight project, and there are definitely a ton of people that um, go by that, and there's a lot of um, things that are kind of only out at night, and so um, it's great to get people kind of involved in in those projects, too, um, and looking at what's kind of coming out while maybe we're mostly asleep, um, and a lot of people take that, that four-day challenge of trying to find as much as they can very seriously, and so starting starting at midnight and then going to the next midnight and seeing how much they can find that yeah. is a ultra great cool. family thing too i, I imagine it, get... it go ahead peg i was gonna say it's just a great thing to get the kids really excited about observing nature yeah because it doesn't have to be perfect it's whatever you're seeing yeah um and so what do you plan to do taryn uh, for this uh, effort? Where, where do you think you're going to find yourself in those four days? Yeah, so um, that Friday, I'm definitely going to try, try and get out there. Um, we have a whole list of events on our page, um, both on our project journal on iNaturalist, as well as our Chicago Wilderness page. Um, I've been looking at some of the Saturday events, and then I'm actually leading a self-guided walk at the um, woods at the Chicago Botanic Garden on Sunday. So that's where I'll definitely be on Sunday, and I'm still trying to explore all my options on Saturday. Maybe Skokie Lagoons I'm looking at, um, trying, to find, trying to find some way to get involved in one mm-hmm. of those events. Yeah, I'm looking uh, at some of the events right now on the Chicago Wilderness page. Uh, for instance, uh, okay, well, that's uh, April 21st, 28th. Okay, then uh, on... There's the Sagawa Science City Nature Challenge on the 30th. There's the Great Lake, the Late Great Nocturnal Night uh, Project from 4 p.m. to 8 p.m. at North Park Village. Um, on Friday the 30th, the City Nature Challenge and Nature Journaling in Flossmore. Mm-hmm. I mean, just all kinds of stuff. Lincoln you guys, Park Zoo, uh, Virtual Bio Blitz. Indian Ridge Marsh Bird Walk, the Laba Woods Bird Walk, and we, I follow uh, uh, Jeff Scrutney's posts from uh, my years of birding at Laba Woods, which is uh, his Facebook page. Yeah, th- hey, yeah, you've been Scrutney. Scrutney. Uh, <laughs> that's a, whenever you hear from Jeff, it's we you've say been, that if Jeff were on the show too. So you've been Scrutney. Uh, there's just a, a lot there, and the link is there at uh, MikeNovak.net. So uh, what else can you, you tell folks about this? I mean, obviously, this is worldwide, and, I, and the scope of it is kind of stunning. 
uh, that uh, because if you go to the iNaturalist page uh, and you see all the locations around the world, it's it's eye popping. Yeah, it's great. It continues to grow. So it's actually pretty recent. Um, it started in San Francisco and Los Angeles in 2016. And to think we're only five years later on 2021 and it's gone international. It's really fabulous. Yeah. And just to kind of then see um, how much is getting added to iNaturalist every year that this annual event kind of happens is also fantastic. And knowing that it's just an amazing contribution and figuring out what's out there and, and it's easy to get involved. And I think that for some people is the hardest step is figuring out what to do or how to contribute or how to get involved. So it's nice to have this, this easy kind of step of just, just try something, just try one, try getting involved every year. So Taryn, is there anything you can think of, of data that's coming from other years that's affected research or has affected something we know about the area? Yeah, so this is my first year involved, um, but I know that in past years they've put information and they try to do this every year of, of things that they found in areas that haven't been found before or um, like new species that they're seeing or something that hasn't been recorded in a while. Um, obviously, at the moment, things are kind of changing over time and we see different areas have different species in different places. And so it's nice to find something that's um, maybe you haven't seen in a while that a lot of people think is going away in an area and, and having that come back. I'm uh, looking at, they even have, uh, if you go to the, and again, you'll have to track down the link, but the inaturalist.org uh, has the City Nature Challenge, and the, <clears throat> excuse me, they actually have a leaderboard, although, as we said, it's not a serious competition. It's just observations that everybody's trying to do here. But... Um, uh, I'm trying to find, uh, well, there's a map of observations, and it's just stunning how many places in, uh, in fact, in fact, I'm going to go zoom in a little bit because I want to see Can what... Can you pop that map up? Uh, no. <laughs> no. It's interactive. It okay, would never... too many moving parts. <laughs> yeah, no. You're going to ask me to pop that map? No. There's On this program, with me at the controls, there's no such thing as popping up anything, all right? Uh, but I did want to see... Well, I have uh, put the links up in the feed, so... Um, great. I'm trying to see... All right, there we are. Here's the Midwest area. Minnesota, uh, the Minneapolis-St. Paul has uh, a challenge, and, and they've got a bunch of counties around them, too. So I was trying to see nearby what would be the nearest one. The Fort Wayne area has its own city nature challenge, uh, mm -hmm. Ann Arbor. Uh, but other than that, so unless you're in Chicago or Ann Arbor or Fort Wayne uh, or Indianapolis, there's, there's one in Indianapolis too, um, those are basically the places where you're going to find the challenges in the nearby Midwest. And boy, just trying to scroll here is just, it's fighting me. It's just absolutely fighting me. Although St. Louis covers a bunch of counties too. So there you go. Uh, you, you can find some place in the Midwest if you're, if you're relatively nearby uh, and mm -hmm. you can uh, be part of uh, the challenge. So, all right. Well, uh, what I'm going to tell people is you get your cameras out and get your phones out. Go get to iNaturalist. That's right. That's all it takes, man, is just get this baby out. I mean, I'm, I'm with you, Taryn. 
this is what I take photos on. I, I really, yeah. Sh- yeah. I really should have a good camera. Um, I gave up on that years ago because it's like, wait, there's an extra step. I have to like load that from my camera onto something. No, 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 no. I can send it right out from here. <laughs> um, but it doesn't, uh, it's obviously not as, as good a deal. I, I, I've been toying with the idea. Okay. Time to get a real camera. I mean, I used to have one. I don't have one anymore, but you know, that's the great thing about this challenge yeah. is that you can just, and, and people could go and into, it's free. It's free. And, and they, folks can go into their alleys. They can go into their backyards. Um, I know I could go into my backyard and probably shoot stuff all day. That was, uh, mm-hmm. very, it's not very challenging. Um, so maybe I have to go someplace else. Well, um, uh, before we let you go, what are you working on personally for Bud Burst at the moment? Yeah, so later today, um, we're, we just, Bud Burst also released a mobile app. So I'm introducing people to that um, mm-hmm. in the McDonald's web. Just so downloaded we're doing every Yeah, we're doing every Sunday a self-guided walk um, where we kind of, have the option to walk through the app with us and then go on a walk through our woods and, and explore and take some observations. And we're really, we're really liking how that has also kind of put the power of bud burst in, at the palm of everyone's hands. Um, and working on putting out a monthly eco quests where we challenge people to find native and invasive plants in their area um, as kind of a project to also get people out in nature. And um, it's hard right now, I think with everyone kind of, um, having to be home and maybe encouraging people to safely kind of go outside and, and participate in things. Yeah. Well, you know, it's, it's interesting. We're in that sort of twilight world right now where we're sort of, we're not out of this yet, not even by a long stretch. Uh, but I will say that the world isn't as scary as it was a year ago. Uh, I mean, you still have to be concerned, but I, I can remember a year ago, everywhere I went, I'm like wiping down surfaces and doing, and then we realized, no, that's not how it really gets transmitted. So that's not the deal. Um, and even going out now with in Chicago and thank goodness, I'm very happy. I live in Illinois. Most people wear masks. Yay. Thank you for doing that. Yeah. It's really important. And you're going to see something about that. In our break coming up in a second, it's, it's a surprise. Uh, Peggy, you have no idea that this is coming up, so uh, stay tuned for that. So, uh, But you're right. We're in that sort of hybrid time where, yeah, let's go out in nature and let's do something for nature and let's, mm-hmm. let's do these observations because this is pretty safe. Um, yeah. and, and if you can bring your family, make it a family event and then see what happens. So uh, we encourage... Reconnect. Oh, wait a second. There's a... I didn't realize this. I misspoke. There's a Rockford City Nature Challenge as well. So if you look at the Rockford and the Chicago challenges, the the uh, counties uh, are adjacent to one. So it's a huge block that goes basically from Rockford area all the way into Indiana. Mm-hmm. So that's a lot of different counties that are involved in this. So if you're in Rockford, you can get involved in this too. Taryn Lichtenberger from budburst.org and the Chicago Botanic Garden. Thank you so much for being with us and telling us uh, all about uh, the project. We're, we're very excited about it and, and interested to see what the results are going to be. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. Thanks, all right. Taryn. When we come back, we're talking plants and how you can get your hands on them. We'll be right back.
Today's world moves at dizzying speeds. We're used to getting food when we want it and how we want it. But at Sitka Salmon Shares, we think waiting can be a good thing. That's because we're a community-supported fishery. We wait for our small boat fishermen to catch our fish using low-impact gear before we blast freeze it and ship it directly to you. Just like the fruits and veggies at your farmer's market or local CSA, wild-caught fish are harvested seasonally, which ensures the best taste. Sadly, the industrial seafood supply chain often takes fish around the world before it lands on your plate. And most fish from grocery stores and internet seafood providers can be frozen for well over a year. That fish waits for you instead of you waiting for it. It certainly doesn't taste as good. And that's a fact. It's also not as good for our planet. That's why we wait. At this time of year, we spend a lot of time indoors with our plants, so help them thrive. The plants you're viewing were treated with Leafzyme, a foliage spray designed to activate beneficial microbes already present on the leaves. A spritz every few weeks promotes growth-enhancing microorganisms that process dust and other particles into nutrition that indoor plants can absorb through their leaves for beautiful and vigorous growth. Go to blazing-star.com and check out their BioGarden line for home gardeners. Sanjay, you there? Hey, David. I'll make this quick. Listen, I have some questions. What's on your mind? This vaccine, I'm nervous. I got songs to write. Will I still be able to do that? It'll be fine, David. Science is what you need. The vaccine is safe, my friend. It's going to bring this pandemic to an end. See what I did there? Yeah, I, okay, I trust it. Thanks. Oh, and Sanjay, don't do that again. David? David? I don't know. I thought I was spitting fire. You can help slow climate change in 2021 by composting. And you don't even need a backyard. By composting communally in multi-unit buildings across Chicagoland, Collective Resource Compost has diverted 7,000 tons of food scraps since 2010. CRC brings you a fresh 5-gallon bucket or a 32-gallon neighbor tote with each pickup. You fill it with organic matter, they swap it out, and get it to a commercial composting operation. Fight climate change. Go to collectiveresource.us. And uh, I don't know if you saw that, but I ha- I couldn't resist mm-hmm. that uh, little PSA there that I I saw, and I was uh, wanted to pop that in. And look who's uh, with us here our 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 next guests uh, waiting in the wings, and and there they are. Uh, let's welcome in uh, Leslie Graham and Chris Crone. Uh, they're with something that that Peggy and I just found out about a couple of months ago, and it's called the North Shore Plant Club. Um, and uh, the idea, well, you know, I'm not even going to explain uh, what the idea is. I'm going to let Leslie, who uh, contacted me in the first place, I'm going to let her uh, handle that part of it. Leslie, good morning. How are you? Oops. Oh, wait a second. That's my fault. Oh. You're, there we go. There's your audio. Okay. There we go. Hi. Hi. We. Good morning. We're North Shore Plant Club, and um, we're a group of local citizens people who started a group to help people get more access to plants at great prices uh, and that's it and end, end of story right uh, that's great. it uh, yeah well except that there there's more to it how order now yeah how do you do that <laughs> chris you want to tell them how we started we, we have a website people gain access to it with about right now 1500 plants are on our website ready to be ordered 
uh, in various sizes, shapes, and uh, perennials and annuals. Well, 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 let me ask you, how, how did this uh, come to be? How, how did this start? So we got started pretty much by accident. About four summers ago, I was doing a personal landscaping project, and a friend uh, asked me whether I would grab him, do him a favor, and grab him a few things as well. And uh, it turns out he was mostly joking, but uh, it got me thinking, <laughs> hey, you know, maybe there's like something to this, that people want plants, more different kinds of plants than they actually have. So uh, I told a few friends, they told a few of their friends, and I ended up buying plants that summer for, in the end, probably close to 100 people. Uh, the truck, a truck would come to my house whenever I needed the plants, and I'd, you know, pop them off and uh, stack the, the rest of the plants that weren't for me in the driveway and, and uh, text the friends and say, hey, come pick up your stuff. Uh, so we did it a couple times that summer and ended up with a, a club of these people who were sort of ordering plants together. And uh, that's how Leslie and I met, actually. Uh, she was uh, setting up for a wedding event in her yard uh, her daughter was getting married and she wanted some plants and got to talking and I told her what I was doing. And she said, that's the craziest thing that I have ever heard. I would like <laughs> to be in on it. <laughs> and the rest is history. <laughs> uh, so is this formally organized? Are you uh, uh, incorporated or is this just sort of on the fly? Uh, how, how's this working? Uh, it's sort of a, an organic club wrapped in uh, a company, a logistics business, then wrapped in a service business because, you know, like, uh, we're just trying to help everybody, we want to make sure everybody gets the plants that they want. And, you know, mm -hmm. Leslie, you have some thoughts about, uh, you know, whether we're going to be evicted from our families for doing this thing because it's um, crazy. Well, uh, yeah, it's uh, uh, something that Leslie uh, mentioned before was that uh, don't tell our spouses about exactly uh, about this, but it's too late, isn't it? <laughs> kind they of. Know. They're listening. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. If if they didn't know before, they they know now. But the point, Leslie, is that you guys are pretty much just all right. Uh, you there is some money coming in, but I. Uh, you you say you off you operate on low margins and it pretty much gets pumped back into ordering more plants. Is that right? Exactly. Yeah, that's exactly it. Uh, we only purchase the plants that people order, which is really helpful uh, in terms of the cost situation. We, we're not buying twelve plants and only selling six, uh, so that's how we keep our prices low. Um, and then we have very low overhead. We don't have a building to keep up every day and people to water plants every day to keep them alive. So the plants come in, they've already been ordered for somebody, the people pick them up or we drop them off and that's it. Um, all right, let's, let's, whoops. And we lost, uh, let's pop. Leslie. Yeah, there she is. I don't know there why it's doing that. Okay. Um, let's walk through this. So folks know what we're exactly what we're talking about here. Okay. You've got a website. It's North, NorthShorePlantClub.com. Folks go to the website. They look at photos of plants, and you've got all kinds of plants. I mean, across the board, um, and it's uh, annuals, Plus perennials, things like mulch and some others, right? And uh, although the the focus is on plants, 
and uh, and and natives. I'm glad to see that there's uh, there's a bunch of natives uh, on there as well. People order online. You get the plants, um, and then they can either have them delivered or they can pick them up. But there's only limited places where they can pick them up, right? Why does her audio? I have no idea why your audio keeps popping up, and I apologize. That's my fault, Leslie. It's not you. It's not you. We have locations in three different communities right now, the Winnetka area, Naperville, and Lake Forest. So those are where our pickup places are. People can come from anywhere. They can order from anywhere, but those are where the pickup sites are. Okay. Or they can have it delivered. Or, or they, they can have it delivered. Okay. What is the uh, arrangement you have with the people that you're buying the plants from? Uh, Chris or Leslie? I mean, I'm just saying. I mean, they. How, how are you getting plants at this lower rate? Right. At, 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 Where at, are they coming from? A, a little above wholesale. Yeah. So, uh, you know, wholesale nurseries are a little bit of funny creatures. You know, most of us prefer, enjoy a little publicity. They probably don't. Uh, you know, they're not really set up to take calls from regular, normal people about plants. They're not. Uh, they don't want people showing up. It's not even really safe for people to show up at the wholesale nursery. So they sort of want their name, you know, kept out of this. Uh, and, and we're, you know, totally respecting that. Uh, we, we do have. And, and I assume, you know, those wholesale nurseries because it sounds like you're a designer. Yeah, we have, I mean, we've, we've known some of them for, for a while. We have some of these guys who we work with on a, you know, have been working with for, you know, several years now and are regular participants. You know, we buy stuff from them pretty much every time. They're regular contributors. And then at the other end of the spectrum, part of the fun of the club is that we can, uh, we order from a different nursery or two every time around uh, as well. So, you know, nurseries that specialize in, you know, have 300 different extra kind of roses or some container trees or something like that that makes each order a little different and fun and special. Uh, okay. And uh, you have your uh, sales are, and it's not 24 seven, you know, all year you do this on occasion. You have these uh, purchases that people can make. So for instance, right now, starting today, um, folks can order until, uh, I'm looking here, um, until you can order until Thursday, April 29th, this Thursday at 8 PM. Um, what does it mean when you say order everything else until Sunday? Oh, annuals. I'm sorry. Annuals are until Thursday, April 29th at 8 PM. Order everything else until Sunday, uh, next Sunday at 6 PM. So folks have one week to order those plants in this particular uh, shipment of plants, if you will, um, and then they can get them at the pop-up store in in uh, the three places, or or have them delivered for a nominal fee. What is this? Fifteen bucks, right? Right. Yep. Okay. And the, <laughs> so you're uh, doing this uh, because you like plants and you want to help folks do this. Um, and one of my questions is what about independent garden centers? Uh, are you concerned that maybe you're underselling independent garden centers? I mean, cause I'm a, I'm a fan of independent, you know, I'm not a fan of box stores. I'm like, eh, mm-hmm. let them deal. 
with uh, whatever. And uh, I, I always tell people, don't, don't buy your plants at a box store. Buy them at an independent garden center because that's where you're going to get the advice. That's where we're going to get the, the knowledge. What, if somebody asks you about that, how do you respond? We love garden centers. We love independent retail garden centers. Chris and I both spend time in centers and have probably put garden into the into place from garden centers. But mm-hmm. we think there's another option for people to get additional plants at different times. And again, we you can't just walk into our place and get mm-hmm. one like you can a garden right. center. You have to plan. Right. And so that's going to eliminate some people and leave with a plant. Nothing beats walking out of a store with a plant. We love that. Uh, but for, for other people, this is a great option. And if you're in an area where there aren't as many plants, this is a great option for that as well. Uh-huh. Either, uh, do you offer uh, any uh, guarantees for uh, folks who are... Uh, we lost Leslie's picture again. Boy, there's there's something about your... that I don't know what it is there. Every time Probably I, her audio. Uh, no, no, I, I popped that on. I got the audio part, but I didn't get the p- photo, and I don't know what's going on. There's a glitch in here that it doesn't like you, Leslie. The Gremlins. the V mix is uh, I'm not sure why. Um, is that your dog? Not Pick my it? dog. Oh, nope. <laughs> whose dog? Okay, whose dog is that? Um, Alex. <laughs> I wonder if it is. I don't think I have his mic on. That can't. Uh, anyway, so. Um, do you have? Can you offer uh, any uh, guarantees to folks uh, about uh, their plants, or um, have you had any, those kinds of worries at all? You know, we're not really in the guarantee business. You know, we're basically letting people buy so many plants so cheaply that, you know, hey, if they don't, if they yep. don't grow, you know, it's kind of like you can go buy some more and you can still afford to do it. Uh, you know, like, you know, if, if we're buying from good people, this, you know, we're buying from the same places that all the, you know, the, the retail nurseries and the professional landscapers are buying from, they're good plants. We're going to try and help you take care of them if we can, you know, give you good guidance and, and, and help to do that kind of thing. You know, we have some, you know, garden coaches, people who are part of the club who, you know, help you, you know, figure out what to put in the right spots or what to, how to take care of the stuff. But, uh, you know, hopefully it's cheap enough that you can uh, you can plan it. You're going to do a good job, and it'll all turn out good. Yeah. Uh, how many members did you say you have right now in the club? Got about 2,000. What happens if it's 4,000? What happens if it's 10,000? Uh, are you prepared to deal with that? That's sort of yes. been the issue <laughs> thus far, you know, that every every time we do this, it's a little bigger than the time before. COVID was good for the, you know, the, the fun of the thing. Uh, you know, it, it presents some challenges like the, uh, um, you know, we don't have to fit it all on the shelves, but we do have to, you know, be able to handle it, you know, find the right people, people to unload the trucks and get the plants to people and stuff like that. So. Uh, that's why Leslie thinks that we might be disowned by our spouses. <laughs> yeah, especially and, this. And there's no membership fee, correct? No membership fee. Wow. The, the good thing about it growing is that the more people who join and the more plants we can get access to, the lower the price goes. Oh, really? Everybody so you're so you're already sure. basically you you're buying the the plants at wholesale and then marking them up just enough to cover your cost. Is that the idea? Right. Yeah. Right. Hopefully, as we do more and more of this, we'll be able to, you know, lower the prices even a little bit more, and that may help us, 
you know, in the longer term mission of being able to get plants to people who, you know, don't have great retail, local retail nurseries around them, you know, whether that's urban or rural or, you know, places that aren't served that, you know, the same way that we are in the North Shore. Yeah, uh, one of the things I had asked uh, Leslie is whether you're going to do this for folks in the city as well. I mean, obviously, you can go out and pick up, or do you deliver into the city? Talking to a few people about organizing some locations, but that's 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 something that's on our list. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, delivery delivery is yeah, delivery is local. You know, to the you know, to Winnetka, to Lake Forest, to Naperville, you know, you know, 10, 15 minutes, whatever, nice close by. Uh, you know, one of our goals is to, you know, can we expand and, and have, find some people who think what we're doing is pretty cool and would love to have people come by and, and you know, have a club with the people in their neighborhood as well. Peggy, you, you had some, a question, I thought. Um, I was just curious, are all of the plants or most of the plants that you have available grown locally or are you pulling from all over the country? Right they now, are, states. yeah, so mostly they're grown in Illinois, Michigan, Indiana, Wisconsin, you know, so they're all grown in our climate. Uh, many of them are grown very locally within, you know, I mm-hmm. mean, you can't, it's not, it's hard to make money growing plants uh, in an urban area, but, you know, within an hour or two uh, yeah. drive one way or another. Well, Unlike some of the big box where they're moving things, say, from Georgia to Illinois. Exactly. Right. So are you going to those outfits to pick up plants or is it part of their regular shipments when they come to Chicago that you're Leslie's getting hold laughing. of? Why are you laughing? Well, that's a little bit about the don't tell the spouses part. There's been some uh, box <laughs> trucks rented and some ah. long drives when ah. we didn't organize the time frame quite right. Or Last year was really crazy in terms of getting annuals for people. Uh, this year is very hard too. There's a lot of excitement about growing plants and gardening right now and yeah, annuals are selling very fast. So, last year, and uh, we wound up doing some driving to get the plants ourselves. That's not our goal. Uh, we'd rather have delivered, but yeah. we've done that. We've done the driving. If you have uh, to, you will. Right. This year, we did a, a a little bit of a unique thing, and it was very helpful. And we'll see how it plays out as the plants start showing up. But we did a pre-order for club members, so we gave them the chance mm-hmm. in January and then also in March to order annual plants ahead of time. And a number of people were excited about that and did that. So ideally in the perfect world, just like how big landscapers do it, we will have plants showing up next week for people who bought them in January um, of all types of annuals. Wow. uh, Which aren't available now. Uh, You know, options are very limited right now. And have you found that, uh, what's the difference between last year and this year in say, you know, uh, looking at, uh, the numbers, uh, obviously the numbers are going up. So uh, I'm wondering, if, though, if you have a feeling that in the COVID year, it was a special interest in plants. Uh, has that waned at all in 2021? No. no? Okay. No. <laughs> no, it's, um, it's, it's bigger because I think everybody who loved it last year is doing it again. And then there's a whole bunch of new people who saw their friends' <laughs> gardens and experienced yeah. it by, you know, being socially distant and now want it themselves. So we're seeing a lot more excitement this year. Well, I guess my, I, my, my advice is be careful what you wish for. Um, <laughs> it sounds like you guys uh, might have something that uh, gets uh, kind of crazy here. Uh, so folks are interested. They can go to 
NorthShorePlantClub.com, uh, and um, check it out. Uh, there's I've got some links uh, on my website uh, on the blog post, uh, and uh, you can you can just go to the site and search. You know, there's a uh, a place. Uh, it says Shop for Plants, Annuals, Perennials, Shrubs, Vines by Common Name, by Scientific Name. Browse the big list. Mm-hmm. Goals what for you're your trying garden. to do in your garden, yep. right? Whether you're trying to bring in pollinators or, 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 or uh, shut out your neighbors, which is also very popular. Um, and what's that would pop- be the cup plant fence? Uh, yeah, no, that's the arborvitae <laughs> fence. In uh, um, my only the cup plant fence in my neck of the woods. Um, and we uh, like for- the color wheel. That would be a good one to tell people about mm-hmm. the color the- wheel of plants. Yeah, yeah, that's the color wheel of fortune. Yes, um, and uh, an award winners most popular in Chicago and problem solving plants. But you've got some resources up there. That's the color, yeah, color the wheel. Color wheels a... in local nurseries. Uh, I'm glad mm-hmm. you put those up there and uh, uh, interactive landscapes. And the explaining plant container sizes. That was an interesting link too, as to. <laughs> How big containers actually are when someone says one gallon, five gallon? How how big the physical container is? It would yeah. be pretty cool if one gallon containers were actually one gallon. Then it wouldn't need much explaining. Yeah. Well, listen. Uh, congratulations. I guess uh, you know I, until uh, you guys collapse in a heap. Um, so if, if folks are 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 interested, it's going on right now. You can order from today. Uh, the, their latest run for plants uh and and they might actually be running out there uh to get them so you better be uh uh ready to go uh but you can do it now and through next sunday at 6 p.m uh by going to north shore plant club uh leslie thank you for contacting us and uh leslie and chris thank you for for being on the show we appreciate it i hope i hope things go well and hope people buy lots of plants awesome thanks for having us all right you guys have a great sunday okay Bye. Yep, you too. You too. All right. Thanks. Bye. Thanks. Bye-bye. Okay. And um, one more thing I wanted to do here, Peggy, before we got out, because I, I this is my tribute to Dan Costa. Um, I wanted to put this up, and we didn't have time. I mean, we got so crazy. We've been behind all day because uh, it we was We didn't so, even get to Sega and right to Garden and things no, like that. No, we didn't. So. Uh, but uh, Let's say that, though. Next week, we're going to have Nicole Virgil on the program. Uh, the right to garden person who, believe it or not, just had her bill pass the General Assembly in Illinois, granting people in Illinois the right to garden because she's been fighting the city of Elmhurst. Um, and and I almost I wanted to post something snarky, and I may talk about it next <laughs> next week because when when I, when I announced you snarky, yeah, really yeah. Uh, about uh, Elmhurst, I wanted to say thank you city of Elmhurst for digging in your heels because now the right to garden has been codified in Illinois. Thanks to your, your, your reticence, thanks to your inability to just let somebody put up a hoop house in their backyard to grow vegetables. Thank you city of Elmhurst for bringing this down on your own head. And now it's law. It will be as soon as it's signed by the governor. Um, so that's one thing. The other thing was when we were talking about lawn care and, and golf courses, and I mean that tour that Dan was doing was was really cool. Uh, this uh, we didn't talk about the four step program. This will be the last thing we do today. 
uh, because uh, you need to know how four. If you've ever seen some of the commercials for four-step programs, this is how they work. And this is my tribute to Dan Costa because I stole this from him. All right, and this is how the four-step programs work. Do your uh, folks uh, do your screenshot of this right now. Step one: study carefully. Yes. Step one: apply lawn fertilizer with too much nitrogen, weakening your lawn to insects and diseases. Step two. Apply insect and disease control to cure the problems created by over-fertilization. Step three, plant grass seed to repair the damage caused by steps one and two. Step four, return to step one. And that's how the four-step programs work, and there's way, way too much truth in all of that. So um, that, that was my final thing of the day, which means we get to do this. And thank all of the folks who were on the show, uh, Dan Danelli and Alec McLennan. McLennan. Yep. And uh, all right, you go ahead, Ben. Taryn Lichtenberger, Leslie Graham, and Chris Crone. Uh, and Kathleen, who's uh, somewhere. Got, Legata was here. There was a Legata sighting. Wow. Yeah. She... Basil's been nice and quiet on the front porch this morning. Not the other dogs in the show. Uh, and all of our listeners, thank you so much. Uh, we, I, I never do our viewers. Thank you so much. Uh, uh, until next time, go green or go home. Uh, Stadler? Uh, what? Is that it? Yes, it's over. How'd you like it? I don't know. I slept through the whole thing. Well, you didn't miss much.